0: Welcome to another week of our four-and-a-half-year verse-by-verse journey through all of God's inspired Word. Today we're going to go back where we left off last session, in the letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse number 17, where Paul is kind of finishing up the section where he is encouraging Christian behavior in every aspect of life. It's parallel to a similar section in the book of Ephesians, because remember, these two letters probably were written within a matter of hours of each other. Ephesians probably intended to be more of a um, circular letter, uh, starting at Ephesus, ending up at Laodicea, uh, but uh, more generic, but also more specific in some of the teaching, I think. Now, in the Ephesians letter, Paul ended this core section with the encouragement that Christians need to submit to one another out of respect for Jesus Christ. Here, he writes the following in Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So very similar idea. Everything needs to be done for Jesus. Whether we're talking about stuff or whether we're doing stuff, it needs to have Jesus at the core of it. And submission to one another is part of that devotion to Christ. Um, When we submit, we're finding our place in the order of things, specifically the order of the Church, which ultimately starts with God the Father, descends through Jesus the Son, through the Holy Spirit of God, and then down into the church itself with the leadership, the spiritual leadership of the church, and down through uh, the servants within the church and the people in the church doing the work. But then through the family, as a parallel to that, it descends through the father, who is the person responsible to God for everything that goes on in his family, and then through the mother, and on into the kids' lives, the minor children that are living at home. Uh, So in the Ephesian letter, that's where Paul went next when he'd been talking about submit to one another out of respect for Christ. He went to the family. He does pretty much the same thing here, only he does not talk as in-depth about these concepts. Now, since we've just recently talked about these things when we were studying through the book of Ephesians. I'm going to be more brief and uh, kind of refer you back to that other study if you want more in depth. So chapter 3 verse 18, Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now submission, as I already said, means to find your place in the ranks, find your place in the order of things. When God first created humanity, he made them in his image and his likeness, male and female. And then he created marriage, partnership, where a man would leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. The very first married couple, were made for each other, Adam and Eve. And they were intended to be together forever and to be king and queen of everything they surveyed. But then sin came into the picture. Instead of the perfect partnership, we now had a bit of chaos. We now had a bit of uh, rivalry between the two and even some hard feelings. Because you remember, Eve gave in to the bad um, teaching of Satan and then convinced her husband to kind of go along with her on that. And then when God came along and called him about it, uh, Adam immediately tried to throw his wife under the proverbial bus over it. And so when all the dust settled... What we saw put into place was a team partnership still there for husbands and wives, as God originally intended, but with a mechanism where a team leader is in place in case they don't agree on how to proceed with something. That team leader is the husband. And uh, I always warn the husbands at this point, don't think that that makes you the big boss that gets to push her around, because that was actually put in place, in part, to force husbands to think seriously about this partnership. For example, if you come up against something where the two of you disagree, and you choose husband to go your way and it blows up in your face, that's on you. You will give an account to God and you will have to um, clean up the mess. If you choose to go with your wife's way of dealing with an issue and it blows up in your face, that is still on you. You do not get to throw her under the bus like Adam tried to do with Eve. You have to stand up and account for yourself. I was the team leader, and the team failed. We need to do better next time. That is what wives are told they should submit to, that situation. It is a team approach with a team leader that has to call the shot in the event that they don't agree fully. Now, uh, because of that, verse number 19, husbands need to have a godlike attitude in the family. Husbands, love your wives. And this is the agape word. It's the word about how God loved the world, how Jesus loved the world. Uh, it is a, a word about commitment. It is a word about sacrifice. It is a word that tells us we need to think about others ahead of ourself that we will do whatever is best for the other person regardless of what it might cost us and so husbands that's your team leadership responsibility and paul says don't be harsh with them husbands who disrespect their wives by treating them as if they are some sort of slave are way out of step with scripture They are to be beloved partners and um, definitely involved in the team role. And so husbands and wives, get better at this. Verse number 20 talks about the children. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Again, in the Ephesians passage, it was much more expansive. Paul even pointed out that... The first commandment that had a promise attached to it was the one, honor your father and your mother. And then you'll live long in the land. Uh, And basically it was the idea, if you pay attention to what they're trying to teach you, you won't get yourself into so much trouble. You won't even get yourself killed, perhaps. And so children, all you minor kids that are out there, um, pay attention to mom and dad, especially if your mom and dad are Christians. Uh, they are trying to look out for you. Now, I am aware of the reality that there are some parents out there who do not live up to this standard. And I am sorry, kids, if you are caught up in something like that. I hope you can find another adult or two or three or four, perhaps within the church, maybe at school, who can kind of Stand up on your behalf and give you good advice and teach you the things that maybe mom and dad are not doing. I think it would be great if you've got adults like that that might even be able to step in and help your mom and dad start making the better choices on your behalf. But here's the deal. Your primary responsibility, if you are still living at home underneath your parents, is to do what they tell you to do as long as it is not illegal or immoral and um, treat them with respect. Pray for them, too, by the way. Now, verse 21 uh, says fathers, but I want you to understand it, it's, it's taking that team leadership concept. Uh, so it's fathers and mothers in mind here, working as a team, but the father being the team leader. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, parents should not be abusive to their kids. They should have a plan in mind to help their kids do the right things and to improve their lives. And uh, you don't want them to get discouraged, parents. You want them to feel very clearly, that you're on their side, that you're looking out for them, and uh, not that they that you are just looking out for yourself. So um, moms and dads work things out together. Moms and dads work things out with the kids, uh, because we want these families to thrive uh, for Jesus Christ, uh, in everything that they say and do. Because the the family is the unit that makes up the church. Uh, uh, churches are made up of families. And so we want all of that to be functioning well. Now at verse 22, Paul does the same thing here that he did over in his Ephesian letter, and that is he turns his attention toward the slave master issue that existed quite widely at this time. Now, it was not the slave master that we know here in the United States history of the Civil War and before period of our history. Uh, That was basically uh, kidnapping and the breeding of uh, the children of kidnapped victims. And it was not appropriate, never should have been Uh, allowed to get a foothold here in the colonies, uh, let alone into the United States uh, once it came into existence. And it took an entire civil war uh, to finally put that uh, huge uh, mistake and atrocity to rest. Uh, The slavery that we are looking at in the New Testament was typically involved in economic issues. Uh, If you couldn't pay your bills, then you ended up becoming somebody's ward until you could pay them back. Uh, That was a slavery situation. You had to pay off what you owed. Uh, It was possible that your whole family might be in trouble that way, so kids could get into uh, slavery through that avenue. Uh, In other times, it was communities. Uh, When uh, towns uh, ended up being on the wrong end of a war, uh, part of their war reparations might include persons in the community becoming slaves to pay off that debt. And there were mechanisms uh, uh, to try to get out of that indebtedness, uh, paying it back or uh, being so good at whatever it was that uh, you were doing as a slave would sometimes uh, bring uh, emancipation emanuensis, that is, uh, not emanuensis, but um, emancipation. Uh, And sometimes those people that were freed of their slavery continued on in their old jobs, uh, just with a new freedman status. Uh, But the New Testament does not talk about doing away with that slavery. It simply talks about how do you Act like a believer in the midst of that slavery. You know, the whole thing that we just read earlier. uh, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all for Jesus Christ. So here is what he writes. Verse number 22. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. That was actually the civil requirement. Not by means of eye service, Uh, meaning you just do it because you're being watched, Uh, but uh, as people-pleasers, so you're only looking to uh, make an impact when your boss is around, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So over in Ephesians, when Paul talked about this, he reminded uh, us that uh, the slaves actually should do their jobs as if, God were the slave master. So you do it for God, and you do it with everything you've got to make him happy. So if you're going to do that for God, you should be doing it for your own slave master. Uh, the, par- the closest parallel we have in our modern situation would be employees, long-term in particular, uh, contract employees maybe, uh, employees to their employers— you don't do the job only when the boss is watching. And you don't do the job with a minimal amount of work. You do it as if you're trying to serve Jesus Christ. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So there it is, all emphasized again here in the book of Colossians. We work for Jesus, not for our boss. Jesus is our master, and so we give a good day's work for a good day's pay. We put out a good work product. We do our best. We excel at it. Uh, because we're not just simply doing it for the company, we're doing it for Jesus. And we know that Jesus will reward uh, his workers with eternity with him, an inheritance in the new heaven and new earth in which righteousness exists. Uh, Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong. He has done, and there is no partiality. So, Bad workers will be punished, and that includes by God, because they are expected by God to do their best. Now, chapter 4, verse number 1, Paul writes to the masters. He says, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So the reminder here is, uh, those of you who are the slave holders, the slave masters, don't treat them as if they're just property. Don't abuse them and misuse them, you know, use them up and throw them away. Because they are human beings just like you. And in fact, they are valued by God as being made in his image and likeness, and worthy of being saved by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this was a reminder to Philemon and any other slaveholders that were there at Colossae uh, that they were expected to give an account to God for how well they took care of those serving as their slaves, such as Onesimus. Now, again, the parallel that is closest in our society is being a boss here, uh, being a company uh, owner, or uh, being the guy that runs everything at the factory. Your responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in that situation, is to be the best boss ever to make sure that they get paid an appropriate amount for the work they're doing, that they are kept safe and secure, uh, that they have nothing to fear from doing their job for you. Uh, That is only right because you want to be a boss like God is, and God is always looking out for us. Verse number two, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, we've seen this before that when we pray, we want to make sure we say thank you because it's just a sign of bad manners not to say thank you to those that provide for us. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am, they put the words "in prison" here, but that is not technically correct, because he is not in a prison building. Uh, The literal wording in the uh, Greek is "in bonds" or "in chains," because he is in detention, awaiting imperial review. So the reason he's in that situation, he says, is because I've been preaching the mystery of Jesus Christ, the top secret information that is now out in the clear that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament and he died and he rose again, he ascended on a high, he's coming again as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Paul says in the midst of all of this, I want you to pray that I will be able to keep that up and even go to new places. Uh, I do not believe that Paul has ever lost hope that he could travel off to Spain. In fact, I will suggest to you uh, that once he gets out of detention here, after he's visited places like Colossae and Ephesus and Philippi, that he will turn around and head out to Spain. And he wants open doors for the gospel. Verse 4, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So he wants prayer support to preach well. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, that is, non-believers. You know, don't treat them like the scum of the earth— Treat them as potential converts, future brother and sisters. Making the best use of the time. This is the redeeming uh, your time that we saw in the Ephesians letter. Uh, we we keep our eye on opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious. That is, thinking about the other people. Seasoned with salt. Uh, we have salt to... Uh, make things taste uh, better, something that we want to eat up. And so when we preach and teach and talk to people, uh, we should be trying to think, how can we get some good quality conversation with this person? Uh, And uh, being abusive and mean-spirited is not going to cut that. Uh, So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So every circumstance is different, every circumstance is unique, and so we need to pray for God to help us in those opportunities. Verse 7, now he's getting into the personal things as he wraps up, and it won't take us long to get through this. Dukakis will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So these two are going to keep everybody up to speed. Now Tychicus is going to do that at Ephesus when he starts the Ephesian letter around. And then he will go on out to Colossae and make sure that Onesimus... Uh, gets welcomed back. Uh, Otychicus will make sure that the Colossian letter is delivered and the Philemon letter is delivered. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, now that's, he's not in detention exactly like Paul, but he's hanging out with Paul, so he's kind of like um, um, a, a volunteer prisoner with Paul. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, Uh, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, So Mark has been in Rome, uh, and he might actually travel uh, out to Colossae. Uh, Jesus, who's called Justice, uh, is also greeting the people there. Uh, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. So all those names that we just read, those are all Jewish people. Now Paul lists uh, some non-Jewish people. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured of all the will of God. It seems that Epaphras was probably the preacher that brought the gospel to Colossae from the Apostle Paul. Uh, verse 13, for I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, which are two towns very close by, to the north and a little bit to the west from Colossi. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So they're there in Rome as well. Uh, Luke has finished just recently and sent out the book of Acts. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So over at Laodicea, the church meets at the house of a lady, probably of means, named Nympha. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. That's probably the book of Ephesians that's coming on the circuitous route. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. So Archippus uh, mentioned over in Philemon, probably the minister. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He did that all the time to lend authenticity to it, make sure there were no more forgery problems like they'd had in the past remember my chains, remember my detention. And then he finishes in the typical way, grace be with you. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, that finishes up uh, the letters that Paul wrote while he was in detention. When we come back tomorrow, we will move to the letters that he wrote after he was released.